Hi, welcome to Lifestyle Democracy, the community where we learn to live and build democracies, one day at a time. In this show, we will be interviewing the champions of democracy, the pioneers who are making democracy tangible in our daily life, such as our workplaces, our schools, our families. To learn how you can support our show and become a builder of democracy, click on the link in the description of this episode. Hi, I'm Stefan uh, from Lifestyle Democracy, the community where we learn to live and build democracies one day at a time. Today is the first uh, video interview for uh, our blog and also for the channel Lifestyle Democracy. It's a pleasure to have a very special guest to join us for the first uh, first video interview or video podcast. Before we get started with uh, the main topic of our discussion, uh, which is uh, the interview with uh, Marco Saric, who is one of the co-founders of Plausible Analytics. We would just like to give you a brief introduction to uh, lifestyle democracy so you have a better understanding of what the channel is about and how it relates to what our guests will be talking about later in, in the show. So the motto of uh, lifestyle democracy is to learn, uh, to live and build democracies one day at a time. So if you've been following the news, you may have come across that democracy is in decline. There was a survey recently published by the Associated Press uh, where they have uh, done a survey of adults in the United States and they have concluded, they have found that 16% of those surveyed believe that democracy works well or extremely well in the United States. And as we uh, no, the United States is considered the beacon of democracy. So if people in the United States have very few people, around 16% of these surveyed people uh, in uh, February of 2021 of this year have uh, recognized that democracy works well or very well, it speaks uh, to the uh, decline of uh, the faith in democracy in one of the countries that uh, is most uh, lauded for uh, democratic practices. In our view here at Lifestyle Democracy, democracy is in decline not because democracy does not work, but because there is absence of democracy. So I will just repeat it one more time. So people confuse the absence of democracy with lack of democracy. They see the failures of our current uh, most popular model of democracy, which is representative democracy, as a failure of overall democracy. If I take myself as an example, would you consider me uh, that I'm an Olympic swimmer if I only practiced uh, for the Olympic Games once every four years? Every four years is roughly the time when we go to, to the polls to vote. So if we just vote once every four years, does that make us uh, be part of a democratic society? So what happens these 1,459 days between uh, elections. Uh, so this is what we are going to be talking about today and this is what Lifestyle Democracy Channel is about. It's about highlighting the examples from around the world, interviewing people such as our guests today to share with us how we can uh, democratize uh, different spheres of our lives beyond just the political, beyond just uh, uh, participating in democracy during, uh, during the elections which happen once every four years or, or, or much uh, less frequently. So the idea of lifestyle democracy is to show us how we can make democracy be part of our everyday uh, life, how we can take small small steps to democratize the areas of our life that matter the most or where we spend the most time. 
for example, uh, workplaces where we spend about half of our waking hours or about half of our lives go uh, to work, uh, to education where we spend about a quarter of our lives. So, and also our families. How do we democratize our families? But what do we mean by democratizing families, workplaces? The core idea comes from the Greek words of which are the form the root of the word democracy, which are demos, people, and kratos, power. It's about empowering people. Uh, so in lifestyle democracy, we see democracy as empowering individuals and communities without harming others or the living environment. So this is a very important uh, notion that we would like to uh, stick with throughout uh, our interview and throughout the rest of the, the, the video podcasts that you will be hopefully following. And, uh, and uh, the, the idea is that democracy is not an end goal. Uh, this is why we say to learn, to live, and build democracies one day at a time. So it's about uh, exploring finding different ways how democracies work because uh, for example now which is going to be the topic of our today's discussion digital democracy and how uh, the work that Marco our guest is doing relates uh, to some of the aspects uh, of that so we need to understand how uh, digital democracy uh, can be democratized how we can empower people to participate in the digital sphere and it's a there is no singular model. This is why we say democracies because uh, we are still learning. We're uh, we're adjusting to to how to 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 we are learning how to uh, make democracy work as the technologies evolve and, and change. So, without further ado, I would like to uh, invite our guest today, uh, which is uh, who is uh, the co-founder of Plausible Analytics. And for those of you who do not know, Plausible Analytics is an open source tool that helps website owners receive information about visitors to their website while respecting the visitor's privacy. So, uh, the one of the main uh, competitors probably or the most well-known uh, website analytics tool is Google Analytics. And uh, this is a tool that relies, uh, that is available for free for website owners, such as uh, ourselves here at Lifestyle Democracy. It's a free tool that uh, website owners can use, but uh, the challenge is that uh, Google is known to be more uh, invasive or more um, keen on collecting the data from the visitors. And uh, Plausible Analytics is one tool that uh, offers a privacy-friendly uh, analytics for websites. I will not uh, speak much uh, more about plausible analytics. I would like our guests to introduce himself uh, to the audience uh, and uh, and kick off this uh, interview. So, Marco, if you can please uh, introduce yourself to, to our audience and uh, tell us a little bit about plausible analytics. Sure, sure, Stefan. Thanks for having me on. Uh... Good luck on the, the new podcast. I hope it works for you. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, my name is Marco Saric. I am a co-founder of Plausible Analytics. I mean, Stefan gave a good introduction already. Uh, web analytics tool that you can install on your site to get some insights into you know how 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 everything is going and kind of learn learn how to improve uh, your kind of activities in the future. Uh, and done in a in a different spin, kind of more modern spin, so it fits with our with our kind of 
modern world where, where you know we have we have the different privacy regulations such as GDPR and so on. Uh, so uh, plus logics is, is a new way of doing that, uh, a more privacy first way, uh, and, and, and I, I feel a, a little bit better way of doing it than, than what kind of we're used to from before from tools such as Google Analytics. Okay, very very good. So uh, why? Is there a need for another analytics tool? So isn't the analytics space already saturated given that Google Analytics is a free tool and it's a very powerful tool as, as you well know. It, it provides very in-depth uh, analysis which where website owners can learn about uh, how much time visitors spend on the different pages of the website, how they interact with the website and which is a very a useful set of information that the website a website owner can learn how the audiences interact where they come from also and understand how to better target uh, the different uh, audiences so why how did you join or how did a plausible analytics start and what makes it different so basically uh, we're two people in the company me and my co-founder uh, I joined about a, just over a year ago uh, like my co-founder is a developer, so we started developing uh, Plausible, and at the stage where he was ready to kind of release it and start kind of uh, with the communication about it and so on, I joined to kind of help him with the communication and marketing side of things. Uh, we tried to like strike a balance, so Plausible is useful, like you're saying, you can find useful information about your site, such as what people uh, like about your content, where they find you, and, and things like that. But we, we try to angle it towards also being privacy first, which Google doesn't have a, a really good reputation about. Uh, so Google Analytics is free and is the most popular tool and it is installed on something like 80-90% of all the websites in the world on the web. Uh, but it's collecting very much data than uh, normal websites need. So the Google's business model is all about data collection for you know the, the surveillance capitalism and, and kind of collecting as much personal data as possible in order to, you know, uh, build personal profiles and, and, and uh, share that data with, uh, with, with you know, different companies in order to, to sell uh, advertising and, and target those people with personalized advertising. Uh, and that business model has taken Google Analytics and, and just analytics in general to, to an area where we feel now it's no longer just about being useful to website owners, now it's all about these extra levels of insights, hundreds of different reports and different data points uh, about people that uh, that most websites don't need. So we're very simple, uh, very privacy first. So we're very easy to use, very easy to understand, and we're very lightweight. Is also we're loading fast. So basically, all this baggage that Google Analytics has because of uh, the advertising and, and the kind of surveillance capitalism, we're kind of we got rid of, mm -hmm. which made our tool so much better and, and even though it's not a free tool it's it's still a, a very nice and even better alternative for many site owners who don't necessarily care about all this uh, extra insights uh, for advertising purposes and just want what google what analytics was in the first place like interesting insights useful insights actionable insights so they can learn a little bit about what what happens in their site so they can better in the future and create an even better websites even better user experience in the future so, so that's kind of uh, why there's a need for a new one and kind of what we're trying to do to, to kind of get that balance between you 
it's user-friendly and, and usable and useful, but also, you know, privacy first and, and compliant with the different uh, regulations and, and so on. Yeah, very good. So I would just like to share a disclaimer. When I was building the website, the Lifestyle Democracy website, the default web analytics tool, and also the one that's most uh, well integrated that comes with uh, many integrations is Google Analytics. So I started with Google Analytics first, but then when I started writing and, and preparing the website, I just saw a clash of values with what I was trying to promote and uh, what Google Analytics stood for. So like they, like people, some people say, if because Google Analytics is free, if you're not paying, then you're the product. And then I, I, I felt that they needed to find an alternative. I searched online and then I stumbled upon uh, Plausible Analytics and some other open source tools. And, and we here at Lifestyle Democracy actually use uh, Plausible Analytics, but we are not an affiliate. Just wanted to, to to uh, share that disclaimer with uh, with the audience members, and the reason why uh, Marco is invited here, it's because of the the philosophy behind plausible analytics. So I wanted you to tell uh, tell us a little bit more about how the idea was born and and uh, what are the values that uh, plausible analytics stands for, that uh, sets plausible analytics apart from from some of the other uh, tools. Yeah, so both uh, my co-founder and I, we were, if you look back, say, five years ago, we were both uh, very happy with Google, you know, we were using their products, they create a lot of great products that a lot of people get value from, and, you know, we were using some of them, we were recommended for our friends, family, and, and, and you know, we were, we were fans, you can say, you know, great tool, that made, uh, you know, helped us a lot, is it, is it photos, or Gmail, or, you know, there are so many tools, in, you know, YouTube, and so on. Uh, so over the last maybe two three years, it kind of our relationship with Google started changing after you know after maybe becoming less ignorant about these things and kind of uh, more aware of some of the the issues with uh, the business model that Google is slowly starting to you know focus more and more on. So back in the day, they were you know more about users and creating great tools that improve people's lives. And I feel over the last few years, it's more become you know shareholders. You know, shareable value and then kind of squeezing more out to users uh, in order to make more money uh, so they can kind of get their stock price uh, higher and so on. Uh, so we were, we were feeling this and, uh, you know, slowly starting to kind of research, like, are there alternative tools to Google search, Gmail and so on, and, and slowly started kind of transitioning our, our own personal lives being dominated by using Google tools to like try to find these different uh, more ethical alternatives, and and uh, we both had experience with analytics. I come from the marketing world, and I was using analytics and even Google Analytics, and I installed it on I don't even know how many websites over the last fifteen years or so. Uh, and, and my co-founder came from the developer side of things, where he he was requested to install Google Analytics from, from marketing teams and so. On. So we both had experience with this, and and you know we we, we felt like there were, there was a need for something different, uh, uh, something that looks at it from from a more modern uh, perspective in 2021, where it's not all about you know taking as much profit as possible, and uh, there are all these different regulations in place now that did not exist few years ago, 
and all these different uh, kind of scandals we've seen about the surveillance capitalism and so on. So uh, our that was our approach, kind of try to build something that fits with our our new uh, views and the kind of the modern world we're living in. And so we made it also uh, kind of very opposite of how Google approaches things in many ways. So Google Analytics, uh, like Plausible Analytics, is uh, 100% open source tool. So all the all the code is and everything else we do is very transparent and in the open. So like you can uh, be shared everything from the code itself or how it's built, so people can actually review it and and kind of inspect it and like do these guys actually do what they're saying they do in terms of privacy or are they actually sending some data other places and so on. So that's actually in the public, so you can explore it and check it and verify it. But also things such as uh, you know you can check on our websites, you can see, you can see our own the traffic, we open our own, so you can see like how many visitors we get and everything like that. We share things such as uh, you know, the revenue we get, number of customers we have, and just in general, we try to kind of uh, go all the way on the other end of the spectrum in, in terms of uh, being your proprietary huge tool that's all about profit to on our end being a completely open source tool that's uh, that's trying to kind of in our little way make make the web a little bit uh, uh, a little bit better a little bit more user friendly people friendly very good so yeah when i was uh, researching about analytics tools i was specifically looking and you touched upon this a little bit it's that the, the tools are open source because generally open source tools tend to be reviewed by the community like you were saying and and they have more more trust and credibility in the eyes of uh, the, the users themselves. I'm a non-technical person, so I wouldn't be able to verify on my own whether uh, or to what extent Plausible Analytics offers these privacy uh, privacy options that, uh, that you're advocating for. So I have to take uh, other people's word for it on, uh, on the internet. But uh, when I was researching on Plausible Analytics, uh, I saw that you had quite uh, an impressive growth in terms of revenues and in a relatively short time. So, what what do you think makes Plausible Analytics such a successful uh, successful uh, tool, analytics tool, or what are the contributing factors that made Plausible Analytics such a success? You come from the marketing side, and your co-founder comes from the developer side. So, how how did you make this uh, rapid growth, so to speak, uh, happen over a very short time? Yeah, so I'm not technical either, so I cannot verify the code myself either, but my co-founder can, and obviously thousands of other people have gone through to you know, our GitHub uh, repository and our code there, so it's all there. But yeah, how did we grow so much? So I joined in, in March last year, 2020. Uh, we, were, we were a couple hundred uh, customers, uh, websites that used us, and I think our revenue was about $400 a month. Right now we are uh, at 19000 500 or something like that, uh, revenue MRR is what's considered the uh, startup sense. MRR stands for just for those who may not be familiar, if you can... Monthly recurring revenue, so it's basically how much revenue we get per month, because uh, we're a subscription uh, business, so in order to use Plausible, you need to pay, and then you pay monthly subscription depending on how much, uh, how large your site is, uh, so that's how we can predict how much uh, revenue we'll get per month, so that's, that went from about 400 to, say, Nineteen and a half thousand uh, currently, and and same with the number of websites that use us, something like a couple hundred. To now we're I think we're reaching about fifteen thousand right now. So 
15,000 different websites have plausible analytics installed, which also means that we've kind of taken away more than a billion views directly from the eyes of Google Analytics. So, uh, because most of the websites that come to us have used Google Analytics in the past, and then they decide, they decide like, okay, let's Our little way, we're taking this one billion something, I think 1.4 billion at this point, uh, uh, pages that Google had access to before, they no longer have, at least not through Google Analytics. And why Why such growth? I think uh, in general, uh, we've seen this in a couple other products as well, such as uh, there are now you know, uh, ethical alternatives to Gmail, to Google mm -hmm. Mail client, and some of them have. I had huge growth over the last few years as well, things of like ProtoMail and, and Hey.com. So we're kind of, uh, you can effectively be part of that same trend, the, the kind of wave we're riding on all of us, uh, of like people becoming more aware of the issues of, of Google and surveillance capitalism and privacy, and people understanding now that ooh, if something is for free, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that nobody's paying with anything. You might be paying with something else, such as, case your data or, or in Google in this case your uh, your visitors data mm -hmm. your website. Uh, so we're kind of riding that wave all of us together which which kind of helps helps to grow uh, at this stage and uh, the fact that we are you know, we're so direct if you come to our website plausible.io just I think within a few seconds you will understand what we stand for and what we're against and how we're different from the norm which is Google Analytics and we make we spell that out very clearly uh, what differences there are and and, and and I think that kind of message, kind of direct and honest and upfront message, really helps kind of build connections and, and build relationships and kind of build that trust. Uh, in addition, obviously, to our open source uh, uh, aspects that you can actually also verify that whatever we're saying is actually what we're doing and it's not just marketing. So yeah, I think uh, it's it's a bit of, of that, like our, our, our approach, our communication and, and kind of positioning on the market. And obviously that the whole kind of privacy thing is really growing with more and more people you know, being happy to say, oh, I'm gonna you know, put, my, uh, you know, put some money and, and kind of uh, pay for tools uh, that I feel are, are more ethical, better, more privacy friendly and so on. Yeah, very good. So, so do you think that? So, you touched upon a little bit more about the values and also uh, open source of, of possible analytics being open, open source, meaning that people from around the world can independently verify the code. So, so given the spectacular growth that you had and also the other, uh, some of the other alternatives that, that exist out there, it seems like there is this uh, dichotomy or this. Uh, um, well, so to say, uh, opposing views about okay, uh, software being open source versus proprietaries like Google or some other uh, other companies. Do you think that uh, there is a time when big corporations such as Google or Microsoft would ever venture more ambitiously in the path of developing open source uh, software? It seems for you that it. Uh, it's working that people are paying for something that they can actually redo themselves, right? For example, plausible analytics. There, there is a paid portion of it, but also people can use plausible analytics for free, right? 
So yes. how 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 does what 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 is the added value if I can let's say as a non-technical person just use and as a someone who's starting out uh, usually budgets are are more important. So how how does open source software become something that's sustainable financially, given that the code can be taken by somebody and applied and in some other context, and we can maybe change the name of it to something else. Isn't there yeah. a risk that this can happen, and how this uh, plausible analytics, at least, how do you deal with this? Yeah, I guess is a bit of a funny word uh, being because yeah, you're right. Uh, as long as our code being open, we've also made our code ready and available. So if you if you want, you can take our code, download it. And you can upload it and install it on, say, uh, your own server, and which means that you can run, uh, you can manage and run your own, you know, self-hosted version of Plus Analytics completely without any connection to us. You don't need to pay us anything. You don't really need to be in touch with us at all. We don't know anything about you. We don't have any like telemetry or any kind of stats that we collect about it. So you can run it on your own. We made it like that. It, it's part of the kind of the principles of open source and the kind of what we'd like to stand for. We'd like to have that opportunity there for people that want to have it, people that want to self-host, or people that you know don't or cannot pay at this moment. So it's there. You know, uh, we'd rather have people self-hosted in Cosmos than not use Cosmos at all and use Elias instead. So uh, it, it's there, it's available. And the way we, we can think about it is that uh, are hosted platforms. So the one that you actually need to pay is there because we make that whole process easier for you. Then you don't need to worry about having a server or, or installing it or, or upgrading it or doing like a backup so you don't lose any data or, or in case you have such a, you know, you do an interview and you get tons of visitors and then your, your server crashes, you know. Uh, you don't need to worry about these things if, if you were doing the hosted version. Because by paying us our fees, the fee charge, then we take care of all those things for you. For you, you know, we, we make sure everything's running at all times. It's fast loading. It's it's uptime. It's all there. It, no matter how much traffic you get, and that's that's a, a service that's for many individuals, but also for many companies. Mostly for companies, actually, it's it's like worth paying for because that means they don't need to have resources that need to you know have the server running and so on. So. Uh, like uh, it really works for us. Uh, this kind of balance is, is great. We give kind of both options for everyone, and many people, uh, you know, like like I've explained before, our growth has shown that uh, you know, many people are happy to pay for an open source product that can be got, you know, they can get for free. They're still happy to pay for it because of these other reasons, such as the service and the uptime. And, and uh, yeah, sustainability is a big topic in the world of open source. Mostly because of that, that you know, people can use it for free, and in some projects, some open source projects, maybe there is not this clear disconnect. Like, what do I get by paying for it, kind of thing? Uh, so, in our case, it's it's quite easy, quite simple, and it's running quite smooth. But yeah, I mean, quite a few open source projects that are used by you know, Google and Microsoft and all these big corporations are also like very donation based. So majority of people that use them and companies that use them don't actually pay for these products. They, they use them for free. And uh, so kind of the sustainability question is much more tougher because uh, 
you might have a tool that's used by millions of people, but the, the, the couple of people or the team that's actually building that tool is like, cannot even uh, have a full-time income mm-hmm. from doing it. They might need to have a full-time job on the side or so on. So I, I feel this kind of uh, needs to get better in the open source world in general. So we can have more people and more projects done in this way. So more people and more companies can get access to it. But uh, the, the kind of the people that are building those tools and that are communicating about those tools also need a way to kind of make a living uh, from doing that. Uh, so yeah, in plausible case, I, I feel that we really got that, that sense that we need to build a, a sustainable ecosystem in open source. Well, something I've heard a lot in the last year is that that aspect that many other projects have not been able to do the same. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that in the future it will be easier even for other projects as well to kind of uh, keep it all open source, keep it all transparent. And, and there for everyone, but also have enough interests, enough people that are happy to pay for it, so they can actually also, you know, quit their jobs and then focus on this full time, and which which makes the whole ecosystem much better and stronger, and, and will end up resulting with better open source tools for everyone. Okay, yeah, yeah. So that's that's very good. So given your success with possible analytics, and provided it being an open source tool that others can use, what what would you recommend to other developers or other enthusiasts or individuals who want to develop some software that is open source, that, that is ethical, that in some way, in the words here that we like to use, that democratizes the digital sphere? Uh, what are the recommendations and maybe some of the lessons that you have learned of your recent success be for these people who want to start some open source software? And also, make a living out of it. And uh, just another sub-question before you, you answer this one. Are you currently full-time at Plausible, just uh, to get a better understanding, or? Yes, so both of us are full-time. Okay. Uh, both are full-time at Plausible. I mean, few few months last year, we were not able to get any salary because we were just starting out. There was not enough revenue. And, and, and some other months last year, we were not able to pay full salary. So we were able, we were basically able to do this mostly because we had our savings. So for about uh, say eight, ten months, we were both living from our savings only. While now, last I think, I think January this year was actually the first month we were able to like fully cover the cost of plausible, the cost of our own personal bills and stuff, and kind of pay our own salaries. So I think uh, we are at the level where we're sustainable right now, mostly because it took, you know, it took quite a long time to, to get to this stage and uh, took some savings from both of us to, to be able to get there. So like uh, how, how others can do it is, is, is that can be a model, you know, if you have enough savings, you can quit your job and then go for it. If you believe that you have a great idea and, and something you're passionate about, uh, right now it's a great time to be ethical, privacy first, open source, because uh, the world needs these kind of solutions because what the world uses today on the web is, is pretty much tools made by or funded by surveillance capitalism. Mm-hmm. It's made by Google, made by Facebook and others. So the world needs these better, more ethical uh, solutions. And there's a lot of space and a lot of opportunity for growth. So definitely, uh, you know, if you cannot, if you don't have any savings, if you cannot quit your job, you know, you can always start as a side project, start to build it up over the weekend in the evenings, 
It's how many open source projects start and how many of even the very popular open source projects are made by people that are actually not working on them full time, like something they do as, as a kind of hobby or as a passion project on the side. So I feel uh, if you want it, I think now is a great, great timing to kind of be involved in this, this space of, of open source, ethical, privacy first, transparent. There's a really, really big need because if you just look at tools you're using yourself and everyone else is using around you, in most cases, they're not using ethical tools first. They're, they're using tools that are free because someone else is paying somehow differently, such as by your data. Okay, very, very good. So now I would like to move, you know, you mentioned the word ethical a lot. so. Uh, I want to now move to the next part and also you, you focus a lot on privacy and uh, your Twitter signature says escaping the ad tech machine and making the web a bit more human friendly. So I would like you to expand on this a little bit and, and tell us what do you define as ad tech machine and why is there a need to escape it? Yeah, I mean, it's very similar to what we discussed Ready, like uh, the whole web, the normal web is, is funded by the ad tech, by surveillance capitalism, and in many cases, even though we have you know GDPR, which requires these companies to kind of get clear consent for people to track them and so on, that does not really happen in the web that I see when I like surf the web and check with the website. So uh, if they all like if they follow the, the law and it was easy to like click say no or click say yes if I want to, but I'm given a clear choice and very easy to understand choice, then there will be no need to escape the ad tech. But the way the web is right now, with all these tricks and hacks and things that websites are using to get more data from you, is I feel, you know, that this is why there is a growth in, in things such as ad blockers and you know, browsers such as uh, Brave, which is kind of uh, blocking all the bad stuff on the web kind of automatically for you as you surf. Uh, and, and this is basically my, my point is, uh, at the stage we're we at right now, with, with the incentive on all sites and businesses being like to collect more data because that makes them more money, it's really difficult to kind of coexist with the idea that the web is human friendly because they kind of like, if you want to be human friendly, you will give everyone an easy way out of this tracking, but then you know that you will suffer in terms of uh, uh, the revenue you'll be getting. So we need to kind of find a better balance and uh, there is a growth in many tools that are now kind of trying to do that and, and plausible is, is, is one of them. And what do you mean by, by, by ethical? And so you've mentioned a lot that uh, there is a lot of space and room for solutions that are ethical. What, what do you define as being an ethical? I think it's, it's for me it's, it's about you know, transparency and trust. I think uh, a lot of people have lost the trust on the web and with the web companies over the last, you know, say, five years or whatever. Uh, so there's a lack of trust, basically. And by being ethical, I mean you're open and you're transparent and you basically tell it like it is. And even if your business model is ad, you will just say it like it is. I, you know, I, I, I want to collect this and this data about you this for this purpose, please give me the, the kind of concept to do so, yes or no, you know. Uh, so basically, 
just when I said article, that's basically what I mean. Uh, starting the content and having the the person, the, the content or user, as the kind of the key, the valuable person here, the the uh, the kind of someone that that's important. So rather than you know, let's just get these numbers and like numbers of, of uh, for advertising purposes. Uh, you're thinking of actually your users that kind of concentrate a great experience for them that that they can trust and that's kind of ethical. That, that's kind of my approach to us. Yeah. So basically more more openness, more transparency, more respect kind of. Uh, it, it feels like uh, a, a lot of that is missing that. And this is, this is also another aspect why all these tools such as this email uh, providers and analytics providers and search engines and a lot of uh, whole market, lots of alternatives is coming up in the last few years, and they all have that in common: is that kind of transparency uh, aspect, and the one that we are upfront with you, we are honest, and we tell you like it is, and we try, we do this, 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 this to kind of respect you, and and not have you just as another number in our kind of uh, huge uh, ad collection. Yeah, very good. So. Uh, realistically speaking, Google isn't going away anywhere. Advertising is not going away anywhere anytime, uh, anytime soon. It's not just Google; it's also the other, the other big uh, tech companies in the digital uh, space. They're not, uh, they're not going away uh, anytime soon. So, uh, what, uh, what do you think uh, it would take to make? These companies, or what do these companies? What should these companies do to be more ethical or more human friendly? What 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 can they do? Because there are a lot of these uh, companies like yours that can be bootstrapped with savings, with a bit of passion, uh, and and you do have a spectacular growth that you've experienced in the in the last couple of uh, months, actually over a, uh, over a year now. But, um, these are going to constitute a very small percentage of, of the web. Still, Google today largely dominates the web. It's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and so forth. So what what uh, what do you think it would take for these companies? Or how can they become more ethical, more uh, human-friendly? Uh, I mean, the, the answer is clear, but I don't think they have any intention or interest that's what their actions in the last few years have shown that uh, they need to be pushed to be more ethical and transparent. They, they will just not do that by themselves, even though the path is clear to how to do that. So basically, and, and how, who pushes them? How do they get pushed? I think there's several answers to this. Is, is one is alternatives such as DuckDuckGo for Google Search, or Hey for Hotmail for Google Mail, or plausible for Google Analytics, that people have an option for a better tool and that suddenly they, they notice that 1.4 billion, I'm not sure, they, I don't think they noticed, but 1.4 billion pages is gone from Google Analytics over the last few months because of this other alternative plausible. Or I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people have signed up for different email service rather than Gmail and kind of moved their communication over. So one is uh, alternatives that will kind of uh, Bite and uh, kind of take a little bit for, from all of them. Well, the second one is obviously people. I mean, people, the users, even though 
it's it's kind of it's difficult for you to like reach out to Facebook or Google and tell them your opinion. They, they, it's not like you can speak to a person there. It's kind of more like a faceless corporation. But people voicing what they what they want to see is 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 a different one, uh, a different part of this whole thing. It's like if you if you keep saying to me you're doing this, you're doing this, this is bad. I don't want to. I'm gonna use you less. I'm gonna move over to here. That that's a, a strong message for even even for the largest corporations. And the third aspect of this, I would say, is, is uh, regulation. I feel uh, GDPR has made such such huge huge difference in, in this space in, in kind of opening uh, or kind of these large companies realizing that they maybe cannot do as they've always done uh, anymore just because there's this uh, regulation in place that that might find them uh, for continuing those kind of illegal practices. So I think between the good alternatives between people speaking their mind and kind of taking some action and between regulations coming in and kind of uh, uh, forcing some of these companies to change, I think between those three uh, we can, uh, you know, we might never be able to remove Facebook or Google, which is probably not realistic and not anyone's goal really, but we might, uh, you know, make a better and, and kind of more independent web, you know, where you actually don't have one company that stands for 90% of everything. But you have maybe you have 15, 20 different companies which all stand for 1%, you know, or you have even more, or even, you know, so basically a bit more web, independent web friendly. I think that's more like a good idea. It's not like to replace Facebook or Google, that's unrealistic, but to kind of gain from them. So they go from, say, 80% of browser people using the Google's browser or Google search to maybe at some point they will go to say 30 or 40% only use it because there's so many other uh, you know, competitive alternatives that they prefer. And that's, I think, uh, that's a win in so many ways uh, in the future. And, and the, the, the point about ads that you made, ads are not going away. I have nothing against advertising. Uh, the fact is that uh, the advertising, the way it's done right now, is not uh, a privacy-first advertising, and it's not it's not done with the consent of people. And and like if you look at Google a few years ago, first many billions they made was completely done on ads, but on ads called contextual ads. So that's ad, ads that don't need any collection of personal data, don't need any profiling of, of people. They just need context. So, for example, if, if I'm on your site reading about digital democracy, there will be ads about relevant topics to, to that. Or if I'm on, I don't know what other website, I'm reading about uh, sports, there will be ads about sports or buying sports shoes or, or you know some clothing and stuff. So, or, or for example, if I'm searching for something on Google, the ads will be based on what I'm searching on rather than on I am as a person, uh, or similarly, you could do like geographical based, so that's also context. Like, uh, where am I based in the world? If I'm looking for something on this site and I'm based in a specific country, then the ad will be based on what I would like as a person based in, in that country mm -hmm. rather than who I am and what my browser behavior has been in the last few months and what websites I visited and, and things like that. And I feel uh, they moved away from advertising just because there's so much data but I, I, I really feel that that's where we have to go back
but is that because of pressure regulation or some other pressure? I think that's where we will end up, end up in a few years down the line is that we, we will go back and say, personal advertising is banned. You cannot go and, and, and you know, surveil the whole web and all the people and what they're doing and what sites they're visiting and what kind of, you know, what kind of tools they're using or everything about them in order to sell them, sell ads to them, target ads to them. Uh, you will just do it contextually. And contextual advertising works. There is no like, uh, like third party or natural, uh, tool or natural research that has shown that personal ads is stronger than contextual ads. There is no proof of that. I think they're, they're equally good and contextual ads can, can replace it easily. And, uh, and contextual ads don't need any tracking. They're just based on the context of what you, the page you're viewing, the content you're watching, the location you're in. No need for anything special, no fancy algorithms and, and stuff like that. So I, I think uh, you know, even though uh, you know ads are not going away, there are uh, uh, much, much better and human-friendly ways of doing advertising, which we know. And Google knows, and Google has made many billions doing that, and and, and should be happy to go back to that. Yeah, yeah. Last time I checked, uh, that was a few weeks ago. I think Google makes over ninety percent of its revenues from advertising, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, yeah, that's uh, it seems like the the whole company's focus is on gathering data for advertising and targeting. But here at Lifestyle Democracy, we like to uh, walk the talk or practice what we preach. It's not easy. Uh, it's it's not easy. But in the context of ads, how do you market possible analytics? What kind of marketing practices or advertising practices do you use? We're a bit different. Just our, our stance is against Google, then it would be, it would not be also good for us also to go and advertise on Google to get customers. So, like if you if you start a company or a website, the, the really the, the same as Google Analytics is the, the norm. Going to Google and Facebook and paying them to get your customers is the norm too in advertising. So that would be like pretty much, well, don't know the numbers, but majority of websites businesses would go to Google and say, ah, oh, we'll pay this much money and you will, you will get us this amount of visitors over to our website and we can hopefully convert some of the customers. That is the norm, but because of, of our stance and of our philosophy, we have said we will not do that at all. So we say no to advertising, paid advertising on Google and Facebook. We have not done any of it. We've, we've given Google and Facebook zero dollars. Uh, so we don't do any of that and, and customers we don't do any of these uh, you know, popular growth hacks and dark patterns and other tricks in order to kind of uh, get people to pay us and, and, and start using us. We, we like our message of analytics is open and transparent and ethical, the same as our marketing. So uh, this is what you see is what you get kind of. Uh, there, there are no tricks there. And uh, so basically, there's a, we have a long list of like <laughs> uh, techniques and strategies we uh, avoid on purpose, really intentionally avoid them. Uh, and, and some of these strategies such as paid ads are some of the main ways uh, uh, you know, the average company grows. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, uh, we're kind of uh, not really <laughs> traditional in that aspect. So the way we do growth is uh, we help people. We write a lot of content. We, 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 we tell it uh, like it is. We, we, we try to kind of uh, spread the, the word and the message about some of the, the bad aspects of Google and surveillance. We also 
create a lot of content in general that, that uh, helps site owners about different aspects of, of what they're doing, and analytics, uh, and just in general, the, the fact that we are so fresh, kind of, and, and kind of a different take on, on what's the norm, also helps us that people that uh, get to know about us, they get so kind of excited, and they really love the, the idea, and the, the kind of how different plausible is the experience compared to reality, so we get a lot of people kind of spread word about it. That's where we can grow organically without uh, needing to collect any personal data, without needing to pay Google to grow. Uh, we basically are, are really grateful to people that uh, use Plausible and people that use Plausible and then tell their colleagues or their friends and other site owners about their experience and kind of uh, with that we're kind of spreading the message one side at a time and every day there's a, there's a few new websites that delete Google Analytics and install plausible and, and we feel that that's the way to go. We could obviously, we could try and force all of this by investing a lot of money into new ads, but I think it would be, it would be inauthentic and kind of fake from our perspective that we have to like say one thing and do another with the other hand. And I think that that's something we don't want to be part of. Uh, so we're very happy with this kind of slower organic approach of, of one side at a time. We don't need to, uh, grow by millions of websites every day and uh, we don't need to overtake Google at any point. We're we happy to kind of uh, uh, grow uh, naturally and, and, and with this stability in mind. Very, very good. Uh, yeah, thank you for that, Marco. So now I would like to uh, move a little bit towards some, some of the topics that we've touched upon and the overall theme which is uh, digital digital democracy. So what do you understand by digital democracy? Yeah, I mean, the digital democracy is a new term for me. I, I was not aware of it, uh, at least not until you, you reached out. Uh, I was thinking at first it's, you know, something about voting online, uh, kind of doing the, the, the votes and elections online through digital means, but uh, uh, the way I understand it, the, the, it's, it's very similar to what we discussed and how people and respects people and, and gives them opportunities to do things the way that uh, treats them well and with respect. So, so yeah, I mean, the fact that we're transparent, open source, uh, kind of fair and, and uh, upfront and direct, no tricks involved. And I think all of this, if every company, every website, every business was like that, it would be a, a, a more democratized web for, all, for us all. So that's kind of my understanding right now. Very good, very good. So, uh, why why do you think privacy matters for democracy? I know one of the cornerstones of uh, of plausible analytics is is privacy, and based on what I was reading uh, on the website, which by the way, regarding uh, just going back a little bit to the uh, advertising that we were discussing, uh, I found the blog very useful and the information that you have uh, posted. They all. Uh, I also read about the strategies that you avoid to use. Uh, some of them go against the advice that I've been given about how to grow the blog, which is very interesting now. Uh, but this is something that we can discuss uh, at some other point, uh, perhaps. But just uh, given that privacy is very important for possible, why do you think it matters for, or do you think it matters for democracy? Uh, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, obviously privacy and, and what, what you believe in, who you 
are as a person should be your choice. You, know, you want to share that, you don't want to share that, that should be up to you. And I feel some of that is lost by, by all this data collection and uh, you know, the, the fact that uh, if you visit one website, then you will be followed with some advertising about that specific topic for weeks. And, and it kind of feels like you've given something of yourself away without giving your consent to it. And it feels a bit, uh, you know, like you were abused kind of in a way, like your privacy was abused. So yeah, I feel uh, it's, uh, it's a cornerstone. It's very important of free democracy, digital or not. It, it, it's, it's there to make people feel like they have some control and, and, and something to say in their, in their lives. So yeah, I feel, uh, yeah for sure is, is, is really important. I, I don't know how we can uh, do without it. And uh, so, yeah, do you think uh, plausible analytics contributes to democratizing the digital space and to what extent? I mean, in our little way, you know, <laughs> like uh, our 50,000 websites and uh, who else is using plausible by self-hosting, it, it, it makes the web uh, more open to everyone. You know? It's, it's now you have an uh, alternative that's not made by Google and you can use it and you don't even have to pay for it if you don't want. You can use it in any way you want in your own, your own way. So yeah, in, in our little way, yes, kind of. Uh, and this is what I meant with the whole movement, privacy first and so on. I think then if you put plausible in the whole movement with hundreds of other projects that do something similar for different aspects, email and so on. Then definitely that can be felt the, the larger level, the global level of the web, and how it's becoming more democratized and more open for everyone. Yeah. How does how do how do you have possible ensure the privacy? Because for me it was very important when I was building the website. I started out with Google Analytics first, tested it out, but then read that they have to have GDPR cookie, and I didn't want to have one. But I still wanted to have at least some notion of how many people are actually visiting the, the website, actual people, because I can get some of this data through the hosting provider, but the information is incorrect because there are a lot of these bots and, and the numbers are just inflated. So how do you count visitors and how it differs from Google, which typically is able to uh, gather more information, I guess, or has more information about the users and more context around it. Yeah. So how do you differ and how do you actually count while at the same time stating that there is no need for any sort of uh, consent cookie to visit a website which is uh, run on plausible analytics for analytics yeah. purposes? Basically, uh, again, we put it built from, from the ground up. So basically, if we started with nothing, which means that we could think about how the web is today and how the privacy regulations are today. Uh, so we could build from, from that point of view. And we basically started everything with uh, minimal data collection. So Google Analytics allows you to see, I think, a couple of hundred different reports and all combined have several hundred different data points. They collect about each individual uh, person who visits the site. Well, we have uh, everything you, we do have is on one page. So one report rather than hundreds. So that, that means that we need much less data. We collect much less data. We display much less data than Google, which means in general, uh, automatically you're much more privacy friendly. 
what else we do is we've taken a very like a very strong point point on many of these aspects. So for example, Google Analytics can track if you have a you know they, they create this user ID on everyone, and if you have say uh, five different devices, Google Analytics would know that it's the same person between your computer, your phone, and your second computer, and your smart TV or whatever. They would know that it's the same person using all these devices. They will, they will be able to have a profile. Well, we've made it clear that you cannot uh, track cross devices. So if you have five different devices and visit a plausible website, we will see you as five different people. Well, Google would, would know you're the same person. So that that's a very clear distinction that that's privacy first. And same distinction is being made with the data sites. So on Google Analytics, you can track cross sites. So Google Analytics would know that you're visiting site A, site B, site C, and they will build a profile on all the sites you're visiting. While sites that is plausible, we have, there's no way to say, oh, you visit site A, site B, B, site B, Sites, which is again a huge piece of privacy. And the third one, uh, another important one, is that we have no persistent identifiers. So Google is uses cookies. They, I think, four or five sets cookies. Both first party and third party cookies they place when you visit the site using Google Analytics, which then track you over uh, you know, many days that you come back and months, or that they track you across different websites that you visit and devices. So we use no cookies at all. We have no none of these kind of persistent identifiers, which means also that uh, if you come, if so, say you come back to the same website five times in one month, for us that would be five different people again, rather than one same person who has returned five times in the month period. So, uh, so we've really uh, made so many steps to, to make plausible uh, privacy first, while not kind of uh, making it kind of inaccurate or. Uh, not usable enough. So, for example, like you mentioned, with all the bots and so on, we don't have any bots. Uh, so, uh, it's it's privacy first, and it doesn't give you as much data as Google Analytics does, not uh, that level of detail and, and so on. But uh, it still gives you more than enough that uh, you know, fifteen thousand websites are now using it without problems, including some very very large corporations as well and companies. So you can get uh, same as we mentioned, like. Uh, personal data uh, kind of uh, advertising versus contextual advertising, you can get a lot of useful information even for site owners in their analytics without you know, tracking people across their devices, across uh, the different sites they visit, across the different days and so on. So that's kind of the, the balance we're taking and, uh, uh, and the, the kind of the whole, the core idea of Plosmo is that. So we will never move on to something else. This will always stay like this, like privacy first. So do you collect any IP addresses or any information about uh, the users? How do you know that the user is a user coming from a mobile device? Or how do you know? Because on possible, you can see where the user also connects from, whether it's a particular country in the world. Yes. So basically, uh, we have the, like every visit, every like browsing request, it's the way the web works. Every browsing request sends two pieces of information. One is the user agent which sends the like, browser version, your operating system version, and then it also sends the IP address. So basically, these two pieces of data that every website gets every time you visit them, there's no way to remove that. We use that in order to, 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 to display the stats. But then we, we take several steps in order to like, not store any 
metadata data that log into the future. Uh, so basically, that IP address and that other user agent uh, we use to get the, the stats. But then you know there's no like there's not us keeping uh, keeping it. You know, in the future that we cannot track anyone using those uh, data kind of more long term. So we use basically uh, the way the, the browser and the internet works in order to get the data, but we don't kind of go any extra steps to do mm -hmm. so, such as placing cookies or taking even more information that we don't need, uh, such as what Google Analytics does. And since you're open source then, and the code is on GitHub and it can be downloaded, uh, a competent person can verify the code and ensure that what you're seeing is really what you do. Yeah, that's quite easy, and we, we actually get quite often we get people uh, checking it just because they're they're curious. And so a lot of developers use Plausible, so they can actually read the code, they understand it, and they're curious like how it's done. And, and so we get a lot of people just looking at that code, and it's been reviewed by many, and it and it does what it's it's there in the script. You can you can see how the, what I explained right now. It's we have actually explanation in normal words, so anyone can understand it on our website, so I can understand it. But we have the code as well that you know developers can actually. Oh, I don't want to read the, the, the article about this that explains it to normal people. I'm going to read the code and they can't say the same thing. So, yeah, that, that's possible. Very good. So, I have uh, three final questions. So, one of them is Do you rely on other open source tools for your daily work? Yeah, I, I, I love open source, even though I'm not a developer, I love open source and I. Like I speak, uh, I, I use Linux, so I, I'm calling, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm speaking to you from a Linux computer, which is fully open source, and uh, fully, like my main browser is Firefox, which is a fully open source browser, and uh, like open source Plausible is open source, and a lot of well, Plausible is built on a lot of other open source kind of databases and kind of tech tools. Uh, so yeah, it, I'm, I'm all into open source, and, uh, and I think. Uh, we need more open source projects, we need more people using open source. I think that's that's a great way forward. So yeah, you mentioned just another sub-question to this one. So you mentioned that you use Linux and open source. And sometimes the the perception of people is that open source software, since it's the, it, they're usually passion projects that people develop uh, after their full-time job at, over the weekends and the evenings. So generally they don't have this team of Developers that are providing support. So, so what what do you see as some of the challenges of why people are not, or the reasons why people are not using as much open source? I've tried uh, Linux distribution Ubuntu. I don't know if you, that's the particular yeah. one you're using. Uh, for me, sometimes it was more difficult to use because you need to code, and if you wanted to install something in Windows, it's much easier. I don't know about Macs. People say it's even much easier to use and maintain. So, so what are some of the challenges or the reasons why you think less people or more people are not using open source software since it's free, the code can be verified and so forth? Why do you think more people are not using open source tools? Yeah, I mean, uh, some open source tools are values. I mean, uh, like maybe not, uh, like Linux runs every server in the world pretty much, so that's very open source, like you have uh, something like WordPress is open source, and I think so like forty percent of the web is is run on it. Like people create websites, they use WordPress, and that's a fully open source tool. So there are some open source tools that are more used than others. Uh, in general, yeah, I mean, uh, proprietary products are, are stronger than uh, open source. Uh, obviously, there are more resources uh, that 
what specifically would be like that there you, it's different to buy a computer and believe the screen is uh, you go to a store you, you buy a computer with Mac or Windows so it's different to buy one with Linux so that's kind of like a really big uh, big issue for them uh, so, but but basically uh, another challenge in the past at least uh, uh, was that the, the image was always like it's a tool for developers the open source tools are made for developers by developers. They're not like user friendly, or the design is not uh, uh, you know user friendly or intuitive or nice. But I feel uh, the open source world and Plosma is a great example. Many people that come from proprietary tools come to Plosma and say this is beautifully designed. It's faster. It's so much nicer than the proprietary Google Analytics. And I feel the open source world has understood that over the last couple of years and has moved to create a more you know very intuitive and nicely designed tools that are easy to use even for non-developers, non-tech people like me. I mean, I say I'm using Linux I, right now on something called Fedora and uh, I use it, but I don't need to code. I don't even know to code, so I won't be able to code even if I needed to. But you can, everything is there in your know, user interfaces are there. It looks beautiful. It, it runs fast. It's it's an amazing product. I'm, I'm, I haven't used Windows for maybe 20 years, but I'm coming from Mac. I used Mac for about 15 years before moving maybe three years ago to Linux. And just, I, I feel there's, I'm not missing out on anything and I'm gaining a lot, which some of the same aspects that we discussed, such as transparency and open source and ethical aspects that Linux is great at. Uh, and yeah, so I feel, uh, yeah, there, there are challenges with open source, especially the, the kind of resources and more people need to uh, be, be able to work full time on open source. They need to have resources to do so. People need to start paying for the tools they use in order to enable them to do so. Uh, but yeah, the, the things are progressing for sure. And I think uh, it will just get easier uh, and better in the future as well. So, so perhaps next time you check uh, links, you'll be like, oh wow, this is, I don't think this last time you checked, might be like, oh, this is like, uh, Yes, I've used uh, last year, towards the end of the last year, uh, I have dual boot setup between Windows and Ubuntu, and uh, so I know that if I log on to Ubuntu, then uh, I'm pretty much safe if I want to browse the internet, and uh, I, I don't need to worry about the spyware that sometimes Windows uh, have. But uh, it's interesting that you mentioned that uh, the open source world is recognizing the need to make more user-friendly and more uh, uh, better user experience and maybe you know if there was this uh, global fund uh, where people can pitch in money and then it, it can be distributed to uh, open source developers maybe we would have more open source solutions so developers who are creating these tools would have uh, a steady income kind of like these uh, innovation funds that they have for startups but maybe we need one for the open source world but that's something that we'll explore at some other point. Like, uh, for example, I, I believe the governmental institutions should uh, be using open source tools only. So I'm sure they have thousands of uh, computers, for example, uh, for their employees and so on. And they're now, uh, most of them at least are using Windows. Eh? And they're paying fees for that and, and all that stuff. And I feel if, if you know, people in power would say, okay, let's put that money and put it into open source projects, 
uh, that that would be an amazing thing for open source world. That would uh, you know, again put more money and more more resources into open source, which will which will mean better products for us all and also a better experience for people that work for these uh, governments and so on. Uh, for sure. Yeah, that's a great idea because then the people can also verify the code and ensure that the code does what the code in, is intended to do. Then people would have more trust in. Uh, because the world uh, is moving towards this uh, e-government uh, options, uh, well, e-government more uh, digital solutions, and then if it's all open source, then people will trust these institutions because the developers would say, yes, the government is not collecting this data, or this data is safeguarded properly, so definitely I can see that that would help bolster trust and uh, democracy in the digital sphere, which is going to be a dominant or a very influential and very important part of of, uh, oh, it would be amazing. Yeah. It would be amazing. And, and, and the fact also, like all the like all the open source tools are so much light, lightweight, so much more lightweight than private tools. It's like uh, Plausible is like forty-five times lighter than Google Analytics. It's less like, mm. electricity, it runs faster, and so on. But Linux compared to Windows or Mac, like when I when I used it, my first time I switched to Linux three years ago or so, like I installed the uh, you know Linux on an old computer. And it runs fast. Yeah. Like a computer that's very, very slow with Mac, Linux can run very fast because uh, they're built in a better way. There's none of this privacy baggage where they have to collect all the data in the background and use waste a lot of resources. Uh, so, like, uh, in many ways, open source world can help. If, if governments, you know, of people individually, we can switch and, and talk about it, but uh, something like governments saying, like, from next year, Yeah, now I would like to move on to our uh, second to last question. Question. So we've touched upon uh, topics of Google, big corporations, data. You also mentioned uh, profiling of data, and I guess uh, part of this uh, profiling of, of, of data and uh, users will become even more sophisticated as we move, as the technologies of artificial intelligence become more sophisticated. So what are your thoughts on the future of democracy in the world of rising and more sophisticated artificial intelligence? Yeah, and, uh, I guess we have the choice you know, to, to, to decide how the future will be. So either we can continue in the current path where we're like, you know, all these big corporations are, are taking advantage of everyone and they will now just use these AI tools to do it even better and, and even more. Or we can say right now, through regulations, through people making differences, through better tools being available, we can say right now that that's not the future we want, and we want to use these future technologies for, for better purposes for everyone. So I feel uh, it's kind of, uh, it's, it remains to be seen what the future is. You know, I'm hopeful, I'm, I'm working in this space because I'm hopeful that uh, it can make a difference, but obviously, uh, you know, who knows, we will see it. It will take, uh, take a few more years before anyone, anyone knows anything, but definitely like you as an individual have big power to tell your, your to do what you, you do, take the steps for yourself personally, obviously, but then tell people that trust you, like your family, your friends, your network, your colleagues, you have a, a quite a, quite a big role to play in this, 
But if, if we can get a lot of people that believe in this to actually take steps and actions to, to, towards a better future, I think uh, then I'm quite sure that uh, the better future will be there and, and that the governments will understand it and start pushing for it, some of the regulations and so on. But then it, it becomes difficult for those that won't abuse this, uh, these new tools to actually do what they want because uh, people will be more aware of it, people will be uh, more vocal against it, people will have alternatives to. Uh, to go away from it. So yeah, in, in one way, if I may summarize some of the, the points that you have said, it's you, if we want to see a more humane, ethical, or as we say here, democratized uh, digital space, then perhaps we need to consider making uh, the software that we use on a daily basis open source so the developers can verify and ensure that what is said is what is being done and also if we're talking about artificial intelligence which is going to become more and more important in the years to come then maybe we need to consider making uh, making it open source and also put a challenge to these big corporations of today and the future corporations that uh, will rise tomorrow the unknown uh, corporations uh, to pursue the path of uh, open source development Perhaps that's, that's one way to go. Uh, Marco, the final question is, do you have any final comments that you would like to share? No, I mean, uh, I think my, my last uh, answer is, is kind of my nice message that I'd like to send is, is that, uh, yeah, we can, uh, uh, maybe the proprietary tools or surveillance capitalism is the norm and is the dominant force of the web, but uh, if you feel like uh, something is not as it should be, you know, you can take steps in your personal life, you can start talking about it, start informing other people, uh, and that will kind of uh, make a difference uh, in the long run for us all. And I feel that that's worth, uh, worth doing, worth fighting for. And that's what we're doing in Plausible, at least. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you very much, uh, Marco, for, for your time and for telling us about your insights and thoughts on the world of open source, telling us more about how plausible analytics works and how it puts privacy first, while at the same time helping make the web a little more human friendly. So it was a pleasure to have you as the first guest on Lifestyle Democracy channel. Thanks, Stefan, and uh, good luck uh, on all future 100 episodes. Yeah, thank you, hopefully, yes. Yeah, so just for the for the viewers we would like to remind them that if you would like to continue seeing more interviews like this please leave a comment below maybe you liked something that marco shared or maybe you have ideas about the next uh, the next guest who should be or who should we interview hit the like button if you enjoyed this video and also make sure to subscribe so you will be getting the latest updates and the latest uh, video interviews uh, with exciting guests like uh, marco so all of the information that uh, will be important, like links to the website and the sign-up page, so you can follow also our newsletter, will be in the comment box below, so make sure to check it out. Thank you very much for, for your time, and until next time. Thank you for being with us today. To learn more about the work we do, please visit us at lifestyledemocracy.com. To support the work we do, you can do so through one-time payments, recurring payments, or by simply buying something from our online shop where we sell eco-friendly merchandise for people of all ages. 
please visit us at lifestyledemocracy.com to learn more. Thank you again, and we look forward to welcoming you to the next episode.